Uh, hey, so we are in Matthew chapter 8. If you're new with us, what we are doing is we are walking through the gospel according to Matthew, uh, line by line, verse by verse. Uh, and it's going to take us to the better part of this year. In a few weeks, we're actually going to pause the series. We're going to take a break uh, for about six weeks, kind of give us a little bit of a refresher and talk about some different things. Um, but in, in this series, I, I said, said this in the past and, and just kind of catching you up. Uh, the way Matthew is written is Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. And it's written using a lot of Old Testament scripture to try to point out that Jesus really is the Messiah, that Jesus is king. And even though we're in chapter 8 today, you can take Matthew and kind of break it up into different sections. And so part 1 was chapters 1 to 4, where you looked at the beginning, before Jesus really began his ministry. Uh, and then part 2 was the teaching of, of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, which we wrapped up last week. And today we're actually moving into part 3, uh, which, is, which is the miraculous and the, the ministry, the hands-on ministry of Jesus with people in the community and in the crowd. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about this because today we're going to talk about something that I think is often uh, forgotten about in the American church, and that is miracles. Miracles. Jesus is a God, a king who performs miracles. And, and as we get into this, we're going to look at three different uh, examples or three different moments where Jesus performed miracles. Um, and my hope is, is that your faith will be encouraged today. And if you're in need of a miracle, that today you will receive your miracle, whatever that may be. Why? Because we serve a God who answers prayers. Those who ask shall receive. Those who seek shall find. Those who knock, the door shall be open, like we talked about. And I don't know about you guys, but I have been anticipating this Sunday because I believe that God still performs miracles. I have experienced it in my life. I'm going to share some testimonies of people in this church community who have experienced it. And we're going to pray at the end of today for miracles to take place in anyone who asks in their lives today, all right? And, and so one thing, though, before we dive into this, that I, I, I want to kind of throw this out there because a lot of times in church circles, you have people who will chase after the gifts or they will chase after the miraculous and they will leave Jesus um, kind of on the back row or uh, uh, on the bench, right? And, and something that is crucial for us to understand is any miracle that takes place always points to Jesus. A miracle always points to Jesus. We are not glorifying a gift. We are not glorifying the miraculous. We are not glorifying uh, maybe people who have an anointing to lay hands on the sick and they are well. We are here to make much and to glorify Jesus Christ and him alone. It is not about me. It is not about this church. It's not about our elders. It is about Jesus and it will always be about Jesus. And so what you're going to see is Jesus is performing these miracles and he's just getting all the glory because that's the way God intended it. And so um, let's, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Ooh, I caught that. Y'all saw that? Some of y'all were looking at your Bible like you should be and you did not see that. But when he, he being Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, can you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I will be 
clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Um, This text starts out. Now remember, Jesus just got done preaching this sermon. And whenever he started preaching his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we saw that there was a small crowd, and this small crowd gradually grew and grew and grew to where now there is hundreds, if not thousands, of people listening to the teachings and the voice of Jesus Christ. And, and after Jesus got done teaching, he left the mountainside, and, and he started walking away, and the crowd started and continued to follow Jesus. And, and here's three reasons why the crowd was following Jesus. Number one, his teaching was profound. His teaching was profound. If you think about, even in our culture today, many of the ideas that we have about loving our neighbor as ourself or serving the poor or um, taking care of widows and orphans, those come from Jesus. The other thing that we see is that Jesus healed people. You're about to see that. Jesus was a miracle-working rabbi. And and it got the attention of the people. And then the third thing, and Matthew 7 ends on this, is that Jesus had authority and taught like he had authority from God. And, and, And so maybe you've seen people where they walk into a room and they try to, like, dominate the room and they just don't have the authority, right? And then you see other people, they walk into the room and they walk in there knowing who they are, walk in with authority and they just dominate the room and they've captivated everyone's attention. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe for some of you it's an old professor or a school teacher, right? Like how many of you know that whenever the substitute shows up, you can do whatever you want to do because the teacher is gone. But the moment the teacher steps back in, yeah, yeah, if you're a substitute, I'm so sorry, all right? The second thing that we see is, is first, miracles always point to Jesus. But the second thing is a miracle, a miracle, or I'm sorry, Jesus was not afraid to get messy. Now, what happened right here in verses 1 through 4 was very um, anti-Jewish culture. It was very against the grain of what was taking place. Because Jesus did what any rabbi in that time would not do. See, leprosy, leprosy was this uh, sickness and disease and illness that people were afraid of. Like, like they, were, they were literally scared to be around a leper because they were afraid that they would get leprosy themselves. I, I equate it to whenever uh, scientists discovered and doctors discovered the AIDS virus in the, the early 80s. And, and now, I was, I'm an 80s baby, so I don't remember the beginning part, but you can go on Google and you can research it and everything's true on Google. We know that, right? And, and so, um, but, but like what you can learn and what you can read about it is people, before they knew how the AIDS virus was transmitted, were terrified of it. They were terrified of it, and, and they wouldn't use the restroom after certain people, and they wouldn't shake people's hands, and then um, people would just, there is this fear that kind of grew on the general population here in America. The same thing took place back then with people who had leprosy. People would not want to be around them. Lepers would have to, whenever they were walking down the street, cry out that they were unclean so that people would not go near them. 
It was someone who had an illness or a sickness that they didn't mean to catch, and they were isolated from the rest of the community, the rest of the people, and the rest of the congregation. And on top of that, if you had leprosy, you were considered uh, unclean, and you could not go into the temple to go worship God and to offer sacrifice. And so not only, not only did you have people who were isolated from society, but they had no way of practicing communion with God at that time. And this is what I love about Jesus, is Jesus is not afraid to get messy and to do something that went against the grain. Jesus stepped in, and where other rabbis would stay away from the leper, what does Jesus do? He touches him. He touches him. And this went against the letter of the law, but it did not go against the spirit or the heart of the law. And and so whenever Jesus touched him, Jesus wasn't worried about him getting sick. Jesus was touching him to cleanse him. And I think that this is important for us to understand is that many times we may feel like we can't go into the presence of God, but I want to remind us all that we serve a God who will find us where we are in the middle of our own leprosy, in the middle of our own sickness, in the middle of our own sin, and he will meet us right where we are. Jesus will meet us right where we are. For for me, at 17 years old, it was a Waffle House parking lot at 2 a.m. in Vider, Texas. Yeehaw. I wasn't in a church setting. I was about to go get high. That's the God's honest truth. And Jesus said, hey, you're having an issue coming to me, so I'm just going to come and I'm going to invade your life and your space after you get done eating a triple scrambled cheese at Waffle House right before you're about to go do something that you know you shouldn't be doing. I'm going to invade you and I'm going to meet you right where you are. And that is the Messiah, the rabbi, the king that we serve. And so Jesus reaches out meets this leper where he is, and heals the leper. He continues on in verses 5 through 13, and this is going to take a few minutes to unpack. But he says, when he had entered Capernaum, now Capernaum is on the the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's in ruins now. You can go visit it. It's, uh, some of us have been there. It's, I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. But when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this or do that, and they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Your translation may say amazed. If you have a pen, I want you to underline that, highlight it, star that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute because that's a profound thing that just took place in the Scripture. And he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, 
With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, before I start giving you some points about this, there's a few things I want to kind of break apart about this. Uh, the, The first thing is that this Roman centurion was a very noble person in society. Actually, in all of Scripture, you cannot find one place in the text where the Bible speaks against a Roman centurion. They speak against Roman soldiers, but not against Roman centurions. They were noble people. They were upright people. They were honest people. And they ultimately, even though they were for Rome, they were for the people and bringing peace They were essentially what we might consider a captain or a colonel in our current military, depending on the branch that you are in, right? They were people that were respected, regardless of whether you agreed with their decisions or didn't agree with their decisions, because it took a lot for them to get the stature and the status of being a centurion. The other thing we see about this Roman centurion, and I think this is really cool, is even though his servant was sick, he loved his servant, He loved his servant so much that he was willing to go and find this rabbi who everyone was talking about who might be a miracle worker. He might be a a healer. Now, I, I think this is profound because this Roman centurion was seeking for truth. This Roman centurion was seeking Jesus. And when he was seeking Jesus, he found Jesus. And then the third thing about this Roman centurion is, is, and I'll kind of couple these two, kind of three and four together, is not only did he understand authority, but he walked in humility. He walked in humility. Like, I want you to think about this. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if it be your will, would you heal my servant who is paralyzed at home? And, 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 You know, Jesus says, surely I will come to your house, right? And and then he says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You just need to speak and it will happen. Because I understand authority and I understand that I, being a man of authority and under authority, I understand that you walk in a different authority that this country, these people have not seen. And and, and so when that takes place, um, Jesus is marveled. We see that Jesus responds, and this is for us today, Jesus always responds whenever we are humble. Jesus responds whenever, this is why in Scripture it says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you, right? We humble ourselves. Like, how often do we think we know it all, or we've got it all together, and we go into the presence of God, and we realize how dumb we are. I was talking to someone beforehand. I won't, I won't say who it is, but I, um, and I'm not saying that this person's dumb at all, and they'll know what I'm talking about. But he's, he's going through a back issue right now, and he's like, man, Lord's just humbling me again, humbling me. It's what he's been doing for 25 years, right? And, you know, and um, your wife may have just looked at you because, uh, anyways, but yeah. So, so like, 
But God has a way of humbling us because whenever we are humbled, we recognize and we understand our need and our desperation for Jesus as a, as a Savior, as our Messiah, as our healer, and as our King. Humble hearts lead us to intimacy with Jesus. Humble hearts lead us into the miraculous things. Humble hearts. The other thing that takes place right here is that Jesus once again goes against the grain, right? And so uh, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish custom, they had, a, they had a way of like taking the scripture, right? So they've got the scripture and they have the Levitical law and then the, the priests and the rabbis, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were like, well, th there's only 613 commands. Let's just add another 300 on top of that. And they started adding to the scripture and, and they, started, they started saying, well, not only can you not do this, but if you're a Jew, you cannot even associate with someone who's not a Jew. They started adding to the text. And so what Jesus does by saying, I will go to your home right now, is in front of the scribes, in front of the Pharisees, he says something that was completely culturally against what they were teaching. Again, Jesus will meet us where we are. But I think about this in our own society. How often do we add to the text? How often do we add to the scripture and we start coming up maybe with our own convictions and we start placing that conviction on other people that don't have that conviction? And, and I've said this before, and this is not in my notes, but like my authority starts and stops with the word of God. If I ever go to you and I tell you to do something that is outside of the context of the scripture and the word of God, like you don't have to listen to me, and that's okay. Now, if I'm giving you advice, that's, a, that's another talk for another day. Um, you know, if it's a discipling relationship, I'm like, hey, man, I don't think that's a good idea. But like if, if, it's, if it's outside of the context of scripture, the decision's yours. The, the other thing that I want to say is I look at the Jewish culture back then, and how often do we look like the Jews in Jesus' time? Because here's what they would do. Because they were Jewish, and because of what the rabbis and the Pharisees would say, they wouldn't associate with Gentiles. Romans were Gentiles. They wouldn't associate with them. If anything, they would isolate themselves. How often do we isolate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus? How often do we say, well, I, I can't go here or I can't go there because <sighs> they're not Christians. Man, you may be the very miracle that somebody needs, and God just needs for you to get out of your circle and out of your space to go bring the light and the love of Jesus Christ to those people. But it's going to require you getting out of your, and we call this the Christian bubble, right? It's going to require you getting out of the Christian bubble to go and meet people where they are and to minister to them the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Remember, I got all fired up. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so you may be carrying the very miracle that somebody else needs. We just have to get out of our space and be obedient to what it is that God is calling us to do. And then Jesus says that he is marveled by the faith of this centurion. Marveled or amazed. 
at the faith of this centurion. Here's what I want to say about this. Jesus is always looking for faith. And we're about to get a little preachy. We're going to move a little bit from teachy. We're going to start getting preachy. Is that okay with you guys? All right. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. Um, There are two times in Scripture where the word marveled or amazed is used. The first time is whenever Jesus is in Nazareth and he could not perform any miracles because of their lack of faith. The second time is here with a Gentile Roman centurion who did not practice Yahweh worship and he was marveled at his faith. You know what I think is interesting with that is the people in Nazareth who should have gotten it, who should have believed, didn't believe, and the person whose society and Jewish culture said shouldn't believe was the person who got it and had faith that Jesus was who he actually said that he would do. I I think that that's fascinating um, because oftentimes, like, we go to church, we do our church thing, we we go to group, we even, you know, give our tithes, and, and we serve every now and then, but do we really believe the Bible and that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we really live this out in a way that it's like, Jesus, I believe that you can heal. Jesus, I believe that you can do the miraculous. I believe that you can save. I believe, God, that you can transform the city of Albany and beyond. God, I believe that you can do what man says you can't. The only reason this church is still around, well, by the grace of God, but it's because I was crazy enough to believe that Jesus wants to transform Albany, and I didn't give up. And in the moments that I wanted to give up, I just had to be reminded of like, no, God, this is what you said. This is what you spoke, and I'm not going to give up. I'm not, I'm, I met with another pastor, the pastor of Engage Albany, Sean. Love that dude to death. And he said, Michael, there is hope. I have hope because of you, because you did not give up whenever everything said you need to give up. And I didn't give up because I believe the word of God, and I believe that all are called into the family of God. I believe that all are called to the day of salvation. I believe God wants to heal and save and deliver Albany and beyond. And I'm not going to give up. And we're going to talk about this in about three weeks. We're going to go into a whole series on revival. I'm not going to give up until I see revival in Albany in my lifetime. <laughs> Bottom line, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. Then, he, then Jesus, he, he kind of gives this this illustration, so to speak, about, about people coming from the east and the west and sitting in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And then he talks about the sons of the kingdom will then be cast out. Now, now catch this, catch this. And this is, this is a serious part for just a moment. What he's talking about right here is people that go through the motions but have no relationship with Jesus, You go through the tradition, you take Holy Communion, you go to church, you do what you need to do. Everything on the outside looks exactly the way it should be. But internally, there's no relationship there. And my fear for some of us is that we look really, really good on the outside, but internally, we're dead, we're empty. We're broken. This is why relationship is better than tradition. This is why Jesus 
requires mercy over sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6, which he will quote later on. We'll get into that in a few weeks. He, he continues on as we start to wrap this up, and, and this is where I'm going to get a little charismatic, and that's okay. Verse 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and he bore our disease. Now, before we dive into this, I, I, I don't know how serious this fever was for Peter's mother-in-law. But here's what I do know. Jesus touched her and she was healed. Catch that. He touched her. And she was healed. Some of us, we just need a touch from Jesus and we will be healed. There is no need that you have and that I have that is too small for our Heavenly Father. There is no need that you have and that I have that is too small for Jesus Christ. Like he wants to know, what is it that you need today? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you need a miracle for? What is it that you're battling with? Now, is that to say that everyone's going to get healed every time? No, that's not what I'm saying. That is up to the sovereignty of God. But you know what? Maybe God doesn't need to heal you physically. He needs to heal you spiritually and emotionally first. There is no need too small. And so Peter's mother-in-law, she's got a fever. I don't know. I don't know how serious it was. I, I, I think about whenever my son, he was maybe two, three years old, he spiked a fever. You know, we thought it was like 102, 103. We took his temperature. It was 105. We were freaking out, right? We rushed him to the hospital. They took his temperature there. It was 105. I'm telling you, that was the quickest I've ever seen St. Peter's emergency room work. I'm telling you, like they, I mean, they busted Judah in there and like there's doctors and nurses and an hour they got that fever back down and under control and stuff. But I, and so maybe it was that serious. I don't know, but all I know is that Jesus touched her and she was well. All I know is that the Roman centurion's servant, Jesus spoke and the servant was well. I, I know that Jesus touched the leper, went against the grain, and the leopard was healed. Leper, not leopard, leper. Caught myself on that. Right? Here's the other thing that it just, and I was, I was reading this last night, and, and I was talking to Christy, and, and, and this, you know, I've, I've known this text was coming up for, I don't know, four or five months now. I've kind of had my, my bullet points, my outline with it all, but then this really stuck out to me last night. That evening, they brought him Many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. With a word. And healed all who were sick. There is power for a believer who understands their authority in their words. Like, like I, I want you to think about this. All right, so don't raise your hands, but 
some of us have seen The Exorcist, right? Some of us have seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. We're going to need a deliverance sex, sex, um, service in a minute. You know, it's like, but like, he, hear me out with that. The movies always portray exorcisms as like vomit coming out and head spinning around and like, all, you know, the power of Christ compels you and, and, and stuff. And like Jesus shows up on the scene and a demonically oppressed or possessed person. And he just looks at that person and says, be gone in my name. And the demons flee. We're going to cover that in a few weeks. All right. Um, he looks at the sick person and he says, be healed. Your faith has made you well. And they are healed. Right. There is something with the power and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ that I don't think that we completely have tapped into as a society and as believers in the kingdom of God. And, and so hear me out whenever I say this. All right. Jesus is a man of authority, and he later is going to turn to Peter, and he's going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom, right? And he's going to say to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades are not going to prevail. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, you are going to receive power, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, which we are a fulfillment of that. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls, and the, the apostles go out of the prayer closet, and they start speaking in unknown tongues, and the church is born. In Acts chapter 4, you start to see that people are being healed left and right by shadows. People are being healed by handkerchiefs. People are being healed by literally the apostles going up and being like, be healed in the name of Jesus. There is authority that comes whenever a believer understands who they are as a son or a daughter in Christ and the authority that has been transferred from Jesus to you and you get to then go out and you get to usher in the kingdom of God by your words. The problem with some of us is our words are just cussing at, at everyone. Our words are condemning everyone. Our words are talking about how horrible Albany is. Our words say things like, oh, there's no way God's ever going to heal that person. Well, yeah, you're speaking death through the power of your tongue. What would happen if we started speaking life through the power of our tongue and walking in the authority that Jesus Christ gave his church? Like, I genuinely believe, like, like let, somebody's sick, let's pray for them. In Jesus' name, be healed. And if they don't get healed, guess what? We get to pray for them again. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. The persistency and the believing and the confession with our tongue, man, there is power in your words. This is why Scripture says life and death come from the power of your tongue. Your tongue. Like, I, I, in the name of Jesus, I can't do it, but he can. In the name of Jesus, I can't set you free. I don't want to set you free. I don't, you know, like, but he can. Like, in the name of Jesus, you're dealing with night terrors. You're dealing with demonic oppression in your life. Homeboy ain't got nothing up against Satan, but Jesus does. And Jesus lives in me, and Jesus dwells in me, and Jesus is a part of me, and I'm abiding in him, and he is abiding in me. And because of that, I'm going to walk in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Like, like I, I, really, I really believe this stuff. 
And, and maybe, maybe I'm crazy. And then, and then Matthew ends this with quoting Isaiah 53, which, which I want to read to you for, for just a moment, verses 4 and 5. He says, Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And catch this, and with his wounds we are healed. With his wounds we are healed. I'm talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking emotionally. I'm talking about from that trauma and that abuse that you experienced growing up. I'm talking about from that crazy father who beats you. I'm talking about from the disease that you've just grown to accept and walking around with. By his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. It is time that the church rises up and we start believing what Jesus is saying. The only way in our society to recognize the biblical Jesus is to read your Bible. And you guys should try it sometime. You guys should try it because I'm telling you, you, you start reading this thing, you're just like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that was in there. Like this woman gets her face ripped off by a dog. That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Different talk, different day. We'll t you know, it's a 2027 sermon, right? Um, but like, but in all seriousness, guys, like if we would get in the word of God and we would allow it to wash over us and to transform us and to preach to us, and then we would start to recognize who our identity was as sons and daughters of God, and then we would start to have the faith and allow the Holy Spirit to stir up our spirit to start believing these ridiculously crazy things. Like, why not? What's the worst that happens? It doesn't happen. And then we just keep believing. We keep trying. We keep, we keep pressing in right? Like imagine what could happen. I, I want to share just a, a few stories because scripture says we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb, by his wounds, we are healed and the word of our testimony. I, I just want to show, share a few quick stories and I'm probably going to get some of these incorrect. And so with that, you can just go talk to the person and they can correct me. All right. Um, but I just want to share just a, a, a few quick stories with you guys. Uh, Joe and Amy Catuccio, who uh, have like been coming to this church forever, they were experiencing infertility. And, and they went through the, the process and the challenges, and they went to doctors, and the doctor said, hey, we're going to have to do this surgery, but this surgery, there's only a 20% chance that it's going to actually work. And then I, I didn't realize this, but Joe was telling me how, how he had to come up with the money uh, for the uh, kind of upfront, I guess, his portion of the insurance or whatever. Um, and he, he was like strapped and stressed out about it because he didn't have the, the money necessarily. And he walked into his boss's office and his, doc, his, his boss gave him an advance to be able to pay for the procedure that only had a 20% chance of working. Do you know how many kids they now have? They have two. They have two. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. 
Or, or I think about Ken, and, and Ken and I, we connected today, and he was telling me a little bit of, little bit of his story, making sure I get it right, and Ken, I'm probably not going to get it 100% right, so y'all go talk to Ken afterwards. He's going to tell you, and it's going to be way better than me telling you. But Ken, because of alcohol, his liver was shutting down, and he was waiting to get on a liver transplant list. Like, like three months they gave you, right? They gave him three months to live. Three months before his liver would shut down. And you know what he did? He stopped drinking. He, he got more involved in church. He started believing. Ryan Greenhall, who's here today, started praying over him. Do you know that he no longer needs a liver transplant and that his liver numbers are back to almost normal? Like, like that is power. That is power. Or, or I think about Caleb Dean, and, and I, I definitely can't tell you all of his story because, like, it's so encompassing, and, like, I'm just like, holy cow, dude. But, like, like not only addiction and, and struggles and temptation, but demonic oppression, and God set him free. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that Jesus can do. Or I think about I think about Marie Perez, who isn't here because of physical limitations, but Marie Perez, who got diagnosed in the middle of the pandemic with lupus, and the prayer team started praying for her. And a year ago, she walks in and she goes, Pastor, I just need to let you know, the doctor said that I am completely healed. Praise God. You know, and like, and y'all that know Marie Perez, that is totally, if she was here right now, she would be the loudest prayer sitting in that back right now. I'm so, she'd be like, oh, you know, so, but like, like, let's believe that God is who he says he is. Let's believe that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is in the miracle making, miracle working business, man. Jesus, he is who he says he is. Is. And listen, those are just a few, just a few of the stories of people who have been touched radically by God. And maybe for them it wasn't physical, maybe for them it was emotional, or maybe for them it was financial, or maybe for them it was them realizing that they needed to be humbled in meeting Jesus in a Waffle House parking lot. Miracle working God. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Here's what we're gonna do. We, we've changed things up a little bit. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. And we're gonna pray for some folks today. We're gonna pray for some, some folks because I believe God wants to heal today. And I, I ask them all to be on call. Look at this, y'all are awesome. Y'all give it up for them. We're gonna pray for some folks. And I, I don't know if you need prayer emotionally. I, I don't know if you need prayer because of job circumstances or work is challenging. I, I don't know if you need prayer because you're walking in here and you've got a disease or an element or, or, or a bad back. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you're coming in here and you are just like the winter blues have gotten you and you're just walking in here with depression or whatever it may be. But I'm here to tell you, we're gonna activate our faith today. And the word of God says to bring the sick and to lay hands on them, on them so that they will be made well. That's what Jesus says. That's what the scripture says. That's, that's what we build our life upon. And so we're gonna activate our faith today. And we're gonna pray. And if that's you, 
and you need prayer for, for any of these things, and it, even if I didn't list it, man, I want to invite you to come forward. And let's let God in his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice to do what only can do. And so if that's you right now, I just want to invite you. Come forward. If you need a miracle, if you need a touch from God, if you need for him to do what only he can do. And then for the rest of us, I want to encourage us. Let's worship. If you want to take Holy Communion, communion is available in the back table. You can do that. But let's press into this moment and let's believe. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you right now that you're about to do something that only you can do. God, I thank you that right now you're about to touch people's lives. You're about to touch people's hearts. You're about to bring healing. You're about to bring restoration. God, I even just pray that where there is demonic oppression, that that gets broken off right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, this is for your kingdom. This is for your glory. This is for you and you alone. And so heavenly uh, Father, we invite you into this moment. Church, I just want to encourage you. Just start, just start praying right where you are. Just start believing and pressing in that God would do what only God can do in this moment. That we would be a church that is marked and known as a house of miracles where Jesus is elevated, Jesus is lifted up, Jesus is glorified, and Jesus gets all of the glory. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name.